0: No. Defense. Ah! (laughs) Zero, my friend. Zero. Shit happens.
1: Episode 224 of the Yellow Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko, and we are here to talk about Borussia Dortmund. And for that, join me, Matthias Zuck, the eternal optimist, which is someone we need right now. So, hello, Matthias. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Stefan. I don't know how much help I'm going to be this week. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, um, yeah, you, you need to be a little bit more optimistic. Otherwise, we'll probably get too much flack from our audience that we are uh, too negative. Um, although I must, I must gloat a little bit because I got the last two predictions correct because I predicted two 1-1 one, one draws, which we will talk about in this episode. And also for that, join us from Spielverlagung, Konstantin Eckner. Hello, Konstantin. Hey, buddy. What's up? yep not much not much um we are doing this on a tuesday because uh, there was this pesky monday game um but before we talk about all that i have to thank greg cup who uh, pledged for us on patreon.com slash the yellow wall is where you can find our patreon page and uh, i may add that i brought home six marco royce cups our collector's cups so if you want to uh, get one of those uh, go
0: on our patreon page so so your gimmick is that you're stealing stuff yes all right, no okay. i i bought them just to, just bought. to get it right you're just go, <laughs> it's going not in my there with gimmick, a big bag and going out there with cups because that's yeah well as do. a
1: as a as a journalist you need to bring your book back anyway or something to transport all your macbooks and whatnot so um I had that one already there so um anyway before we talk about the Bundesliga I uh presume we'll get the uh, EuroLeague out of the way um Borussia Dortmund almost got it out of the way themselves but then um the uh, Atalanta goalkeeper had a last yeah weird mistake knocking the ball out of his own hand with his knee and Marcel Schmelzer was there to uh yeah snatch the 1-1 draw um Matthias, since you haven't talked in a while, um bring me through this game. I thought it was an awful, awful game to watch in Reggio Emilia. It was
2: raining, the game was torrid, but go on, tell us all about it. I think you had a rather concise synopsis of the match just now. The uh, the play on the pitch kind of reflected the weather and the fact that the match took place in Sassuolo, which was, what, 200 kilometers away from Bergamo, uh, which obviously is kind of odd, but... Um, be that as it may, it was, uh, yeah, Atalanta played well in the first half. Um, They definitely deserved to take the lead. Um, Over the course of the match, they were, I would say, the better team, or they played better, let's put it that way. Dortmund seemed to never quite get into rhythm, also because of Bergamo, who were, let's just say, aggressive, um, would be one way of putting it, rather physical, which, uh, the Dortmund players didn't seem to respond to, uh, in any shape or form, at least not positively. And then, of course, that lucky goal, which was Marcel Schmelzer's first goal, I think, since 2013, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and. Didn't he score, like, a direct free kick in a cup, not too uh, long ago?
1: Ye- that. I remember there was, there was, like, uh, a face, let's call it. Okay. where So many goalkeepers he had, let in three right. kicks.
2: Yeah, that was in the cup match against uh, Lotte, wasn't it? Or not Lotte, uh, not Lotte, uh, yeah, against, I don't, I don't know. know. Either way, one of those teams where they had to postpone it because of the weather or some, some crowd. That was like a year ago. I don't know. Um, but, uh, okay. No, it was his first goal in Bundesliga, but whatever. Uh, so, yeah, never mind statistics. Okay, um, but he. I'm not going to edit that. No, so. no I, I, I appreciate that. But he was Johnny on the spot. He did what he had to do. I first, for some reason, thought that was a different player until I realized it was it was him. But he saved Dortmund's bacon. And I mean, if you look at it over the course of two legs, Dortmund deserves to go through. I think more than Atalanta did. So. Yeah, sometimes there are some ugly matches. Uh, we were talking pre-pod. I, I still remember under Thomas Tuchel a match away against Pauk that I think Pauk won 1-0 in the Europa League group stage. Uh, that was atrocious and you could not blame the weather. It was just bad, bad football. So compared to that one, this one was better.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Constantine, um, I would agree with Matthias and so far that Dortmund were deserved over hundred and eighty minutes to progress to the next round. However, um given that Atalanta are a mid table team in Italy, they have an okayish game plan, they have I guess an average squad, do you think um Dortmund should have in theory or on paper been far more comfortable than
0: they were in the end? Uh considering that Dortmund just threw uh just threw with Augsburg, um, no. It's like you know, when we talk about mid-table de- teams and I rate Atalanta far higher than Augsburg, um, then I guess it's just what you get these days with first Dortmund and, um, especially the, the segue like, I mean, as, uh, Matthias already mentioned, um, pretty, pretty intense pressing, uh, which, which m- f- let, uh, Toprak and Socrates not felt comfortable at all. Um, especially, I think during the first half, um, and and also what, what really hindered Dortmund's build-up, um, for in, in in various situations was that uh, with Toljan and Shirley you got two, um, players, uh, especially with Toyan you got a left uh, right-footed player on the left side, um, and in that particular match it really, um, played this disadvantage because uh, there are, I mean he has, he had only sixty uh, percent passing accuracy. Um, yeah, 16 passes out yeah, of 26. Right, because he played, like, I, and I don't know how many of the 10 uh, misplaced passes went just straight out of um, out of bounds because he, he played with his right foot. He was pressured uh, f- f- from one of the um, Bergamo players coming from the inside. So he had just a, a tiny, tiny passing lane. And of course, I mean, be- being a right-footed player on the left side, I mean, you have the tendency to just... Played out of bounds. Um, and then you got Schurler as well in there, who is like someone who, who always tries to get uh to the inside. And I mean, he also was stuck outside. Um, so you, yeah, that was um not not um you know a- enjoyable to watch at all. Um, so yeah, there it was. I mean, it was quite. I mean, there was nothing so sophisticated to it, but Bergamo just figured out how to pressure Dortmund and how to uh, get Toljan involved and then, you know, pressure him and force turnovers. Same with Shaheen, basically, although I have to say Shaheen had one of his better matches um, against Bergamo. So, yeah, overall... I mean, it was just what you get with Dortmund uh, at the moment. I mean, not that they they, they they didn't have a complete breakdown or anything, but they didn't look comfortable. They didn't look uh, confident. Um, and also, I mean, you got all these weapons up front. Um, Batshuari Guts, surely Pulisic, um and still... It's. It looks. It, it. like Dortmund right now is a little bit. And I got a lot of questions on Twitter, um, and, and on uh, via other channels, um, where people just ask what what is basically Stürger's um plan uh, when it comes to attacking plays, when it comes to you know final third um creating chances etc cetera, etc cetera. and I don't think he has really uh, much of a plan it's more like he he knows or he has some ideas how to move the ball down the field but then uh once you know got uh, sure that like, these guys have the ball in, in the final third maybe uh, past the halfway line then they are just out there on their own and they have to imp- improvise a little bit and I think you, you see that a lot <laughs> should, should, should I spell Stugger's attacking plan out for you
1: c-o-i-n-c-i-d-e-n-c-e coincidence <laughs> that's the plan that sugar has, yeah, basically. But it's, it's like
0: you got. I mean, I mean, that's why I said it's it's a little bit like Real Madrid light or or maybe PSG light. You know, you got you got these weapons up front, and I mean, there's no doubt about it that they are talented and uh, pretty gifted and superior to many uh, other you know comparable attacking lines. Sure, yeah, you got that. But, uh, it's just, you know, he trusts them that they will come up with something and they will make something happen and then, uh, they will, everything will be fine. Um, and I don't think that's what you should do uh, these days in professional football at that level. So, I mean, sure. Guts, uh, Royce, they can win one-on-ones. They can, they, they can come up with ideas. They can, they have uh, creativity all day. Still, um, it's, it's a bit, a bit more complicated. And as, say with Dahoud in the uh, Atalanta match. I think Dahoud pretty much played as good as he was able to, because it, it looked like he didn't get any advice from Stöger. You know, he didn't get any um, orders when to move up, when to stay next uh, alongside Shaheen. You know, when to drift to the wings. Or there was nothing. It's just it, it, he looked like sorry, who just. Made stuff on his own. We just okay. We decided what what could be right, what could be wrong. Yeah, in in plenty of situations in football, um, there's autonomy and decision making. You know, the players have to do that themselves. Still, a little bit of advice, um, especially with a, with a young player like Dahoud or with a young player like Pulisic or with uh, not so confident surely, I mean, yeah, I know he has gained confidence still, um. Yeah, you need to give them a, a bit more advice and help them, guide them, um, and I think Dahood was you know, a pretty good example uh, of a player who didn't receive any guidance and was just out there and had to make stuff like he thought it should be. Yeah, I made
1: a little video which our patrons could see because I was screwing around, and uh, you know there may have been a copyright infringement here or there in that video. But basically, that video is about Julian Weigl and why he's struggling. And uh, in that video, I also take a look at the build-up play, and uh, you can see that Dortmund operate with a lot of long balls. You know, I was just using the the Gladbach match. Basically, and uh, I felt like Dortmund really, you know, just continued where they left off in, in Gladbach, especially in that first half. And um, I don't, I just want to, I feel like there is not really a plan for positioning, for special awareness, just as you said, to really use your central midfielders effectively. You know, it's just basically okay, move it to the fullback if the center backs get pressured. And then, you know, pump it upfield. Either one of the top four can do something with the ball or we'll try to, you know, pounce on a loose ball and then hope that, you know, from that turnover from maybe a small counter pressing move or something, then we get the space and something can happen. But I don't feel like there's the uh, plan basically to really move the ball from. The first line to the last line uh, you know efficiently and uh, this is a big problem and uh, you know it continued against Augsburg of course and yeah has me a little bit speechless but on the other hand I don't know how much time Peter Stöger really has if he has an idea to um, you know work on that because the winter break was very short and now you know there are a lot of English weeks so yeah I see a lot of problems, but, uh, before we, uh, m- maybe discuss, you know, continuing struggles in the Augsburg part, um, Matthias, we have to talk about Roman Bürki yet again because he had like a 10 out of 10 performance against Gladbach and then it was sort of 4 out of 10 against Atalanta. The, uh, goal the host scored was, it was sort of on him. Um, of course, Con- uh, Socrates could have done better too, but, um, What's the issue with Burkie and how do you think he can achieve some sort of consistency?
2: Well, I mean, the Atalanta match yeah, I mean that that was one of those situations where okay that was that was on Burki, you make a mistake, but then you also have to look at the Atalanta keeper what he did. I think some of it, you know when keepers come into situations like that when the weather's also really, really nasty like that is that there's like an automatic nervousness just because of ball skipping, lack of grip, stuff like that. But overall, I always maintain the biggest issue that a keeper has, one way or another, is the trust in the players ahead of him. If he has ultimate trust in the 3, 4, 5, however many players are directly ahead of him, the keeper will play better. He will play with more confidence because he doesn't have to worry that much. He's not going to be put in crappy situations. He's not going to have those back passes that continuously get played to him from, especially Topak is really good at that, in situations where it's like, don't pass it back to your keeper. You're passing it back to the keeper because you want to get rid of it from yourself, and you're putting the keeper in a situation that he shouldn't be in. Um, yeah, I
1: had that against Hamburg very Yes. Well yeah and, and,
2: and also, if I remember correctly, there was also a situation like that against Augsburg where it was just a weird situation to pass back to him and pass back to him at pretty high pace where you're asking a player that's number one goal is not to play with his feet to play with his feet in that situation in a way that's very uncomfortable for him. Um, but it, to me, it all comes down to the confidence in the players ahead of you. I think he lacks that confidence for very good reasons. Um, and so he becomes a little bit less confident himself, overcompensates in certain situations um you know, there, there are certain things where you're like, should come out a little bit stronger. I mean, against Atalanta, to me, you, you could have also called a foul, um, against the Atalanta player because he charged his shoulder and arm into Birki in that situation, um, in the five yard or at least right on the edge of the five yard box. So, you know, 50-50 shot, that would have been called as a foul. Um, but you know at the same time you look against Augsburg he does a great save and then the follow up shot the rebound is put in because there's a lack of cover from the players around him and i think that's the biggest issue i think if you if he would have um Hummels the, the back line that we had when Weidenfeller was arguably the second best keeper in Germany when you had Hummels and Subotic and Schmelzer and Pischek all on the top of their game uh Birke, would be a superstar keeper. Uh, But because of that lack of confidence, that gets reflected in how a keeper plays. I mean, you even look at like Timo Hahn, who is one of the most talented young keepers Germany has. He's had a horrendous season overall for his standards. That also comes down to the fact he's got no trust in the players ahead of him. Whereas last season, he had more trust in them. So to me, that's one of the biggest issues. You solve the backline issue, and a lot of the keeper issues will, will solve itself. Now, is he still going to make a mistake? Of course. Every keeper makes mistakes, but they're, they're not going to be that much. And to me, I've always maintained they've been a little over inflated, to be honest. He's been a little over criticized, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. That might stem from Weidenfeller being so flawless over two years or so. And really raising the bar and uh, I mean Dortmund have a rich history of great goalkeepers. They had Stefan Klose, they had Matthias Lehmann. So, you know, as a Dortmund keeper you sort of have to live up to that too. So I guess this is maybe why criticism gets a little bit more inflated or, or not. I I don't know. But um it it was it, it is definitely interesting that, you know, those tiny mistakes happen every now and again on the European stage, you know, not really helpful especially after such a such a great performance against Gladbach. Um, yeah, I don't know. One special mention uh, for Nuri Shine for uh, knowing that Chris Dante wouldn't miss that header. <laughs> I don't know why he just stopped, didn't even make a run. Um, that was that was a bit weird. But um, I think overall, defensively, okay, there are issues. But uh, especially in that Atalanta game, um, it's it's a little bit odd, let's put it this way, that Dortmund's really first big chance out of play came, I think it was a side volley from André Schölle, like in the 80th minute or so, and uh, knowing that Dortmund had to score an equalizer to get to the next round, that was not enough in my view, but um, yeah, that's how it is right now, so any one of you want to say anything about that match, still? Not me. Okay, so um Dortmund drew Salzburg, no? Konstantin, are Salzburg a better opponent than Atalanta? For Dortmund, should they be beatable? Are Dortmund heavy favorites? Or what what sort of game is that?
0: Yeah, I think uh, Dortmund are favorites. um, If you compare both teams and compare each position. Of course, I mean, Dortmund is a heavy favorite. Problem is that um, Salzburg with Marco Rosa is uh, one of the more exciting teams in the competition, still in the competition. Um, And uh, I think they could come up with a few ideas to outmaneuver Dortmund. Um, But if Dortmund gets there, or, you know, plays to somewhat of their potential, then, I mean, Dortmund should be victorious here still um you know we've just uh, we will talk about the augsburg match um there is plenty um of or uh, there are a number of things uh, Dortmund has to um get better at uh, just at this point I, and and i guess salzburg is one of these um teams who might Fight you um, if you don't, you know, or if you have a bad day. Um, and Dom has plenty of bad days right now, so uh, we will see. But um, compared to Atalanta, I mean, on paper, of course, Atalanta was the was the more difficult opponent. Um, but I think Salzburg is basically on par with Atalanta uh, when it comes to difficulty um, and and getting through and getting to the next round. Um, not uh, Atalanta had the better players, but system wasn't that, I mean, although Kasparini gets a lot of praise and I, I understand why, but, uh, it wasn't like, uh, he came up with, with, something surprising. Uh, while I could see that happening, uh, with Salzburg, um, what, what might, uh, play in favor of Dortmund is that, uh, I think the first match is in Dortmund, right? Um, the, sec, yes. the SEC is uh, away uh, at Salzburg um, I mean they don't have much of a fan support so you don't have to play against you know a, 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 a passionate uh, crowd or something um, so I think that help can help you and I think the Atalanta match showed that actually because they played in Bergamo they played, uh, they played what, what what was it, 150 miles outside of Bergamo um so yeah that sometimes helps you uh because there there are more stadiums in europe and uh, with teams it's still in the competition um where it can be a bit more uncomfortable to play the second leg away um you know just think about uh atletico de madrid or uh athletic club uh so bilbao or so lasio um these these kind of teams uh you know if they ever a, f- a full stadium, it can, it can become uncomfortable, especially with the current team, which, uh, current Dortmund team, which looks like it can get shaken pretty easily, uh, by what happens on the pitch. And then maybe, you know, if the fence support is there and it gets heated, then I don't know how they will do, uh, right now. Um, surely at Dortmund, I mean, you got, you got uh, the best uh, crowd. The best fan support you can imagine, of course.
1: <laughs> yeah, you never know how it uh, goes against a team that is sponsored by Red Bull, because uh, the active fan support also might cease to exist there. Um uh, But I-, I think it's already a great advantage for Dortmund that they only have to travel to Salzburg, uh, not to, let's say, Russia, uh, like uh, the uh, sister club of Salzburg, Leipzig. Um. So yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh, at at least uh, something because Salzburg is not all that far away. Um, yeah, I I think we can we can knock it on the head with the Europa League talk for now and her move over to the Bundesliga. Um, I I must say I'm a bit sad that Dortmund did not really use the chance to build a three point gap to third place uh, meaning maintaining the the three points to Schalke as uh, Frankfurt Leverkusen and Leipzig all lost um but before we have to talk about the uh table and the situation overall for Dortmund um i guess there's no way around the uh fan boycott about 25000 26000 people stayed away um, might have even been more the official number was 5 uh, 54300 i think but, um, that always includes the ticket, uh, season ticket holders, and that's already like 51,200 or so. So, um, I think, I think it might have even been more than that, might have been even 30,000 or 35,000. Um, at least the Westfalenstein looked pretty empty last night. And, um, Matthias, what's your opinion on the boycott?
2: Um, yeah. So. My opinion, I guess, at the end of the day is relatively irrelevant because I don't live in Germany anymore. So it's easy for me to say I don't have a problem with Monday Night Games because I can watch them. I can actually watch them at a better, better hour for me on my lunch break. Um, I, I understand to a certain degree the grievance or the issue and you're unhappy with it. Overall, I think it's being a little overblown. In my opinion, there, there are bigger issues. Um, so, it, and it's unfortunate just because at a, at a time, because it is proven that players' performances go up or go down also depending on the treatment of the spectators. It's a psychological fact. Um, so it would have been nice for them to be there to support the team because the team could have used it and and does need it but uh they saw it as a greater protest against the commercialization of football which newsflash that train has left the station about 10 years ago um so uh yeah um i'm basically indifferent to it honestly to a certain degree
1: i'm just shaking my head here how can you be indifferent to what makes german fan culture so great well, people I'm, actively support the teams and I'm,
2: follow them around. I'm indifferent to the sense that I think it's a little bit overblown in in the protest. I, like I said, there are there are bigger issues that I get more worked up about. Also in sport than necessarily an occasional Monday night game. In my opinion, the biggest issue is for Monday night. Given the way that football is supported in Germany, it would make more sense to have. Monday night games but be between teams that are closer together uh, geographically. So it means quicker travel time, stuff like that. Also for away supporters versus Dortmund and Augsburg. I mean, that's, you know, to me, logistically, that doesn't make sense. But Dortmund playing against another team you know, that's within an hour, essentially, away, whether it's a Köln or a Leverkusen or something like that, or even if you turn it into a derby match. That, to me, makes more sense. If anything, you make a Monday night a showcase match uh and not Dortmund against Augsburg. Not, that not, doesn't not too make many sense.
1: available in the Bundesliga, though.
2: <laughs> no, you. of course you can make showcase matches. I mean, there are plenty of good quality teams where there's passion behind it, you could play good football, you could see good football. It's logistically harder for teams that are a little bit away from it all, like, say, Hatta, as an example. But... Um, Overall, in my opinion, it would make more sense if you're going to do Monday night football in the Bundesliga to have it be more of a showcase event for matches that mean a little bit more that are geographically closer, also because of fan travel logistics. Uh, so you're not having people to have to travel five hours to get there, maybe just an hour, which isn't, you know, someone who lives in the US where we have long distances to cover. To me, that's not that big of a deal. Um, but again... I have bigger issues in football and sports than the Monday night game.
1: I mean, yeah, Lars put it quite well um, on the last episode where he basically pointed to Bayern's uh, new sponsorship deal with uh, Qatar, basically, and that being probably a much, much bigger issue. Nevertheless, I actually think that, uh, you know, at least standing up for, you know, your values and your fan culture, I think is very important just may- maybe not just to remove a monday night fixture but you know to at least hinder the uh, (laughs) commercialization a little bit because um you know those are usually you know the stadium goers that invest and sacrifice a lot of free time and money to you know do exactly that and to stage this great support that we see on display almost every weekend so um yeah i can i can certainly fully agree especially for dortmund themselves where a lot of fans are not just you know right around the corner like i am (laughs) with my like 10 minute walk to the stadium but there are people like from the good old sauerland where it takes you at least an hour to get to dortmund or you know even further away so there are people coming from switzerland the netherlands and whatnot and uh, of course nowadays also a lot from england and uh, the united states um but, you know, my point being is that, um, I think it was quite successful last night in, in the way to send a message. Um, I personally, I don't really mind Monday night games either. To me, it doesn't really matter whether I sit there on a Sunday or Monday. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, I, I think it's, it's, it's just good that the Bundesliga shows at least some resistance and that not basically every, you know, little, bit of commercialization is is
2: happening. Um but can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you think it's do you think the protest is gonna matter? Do you think it's gonna change anything at all? Um I wouldn't rule it out.
1: I I think um I mean if if you listen to Vatzke, I know he is always a bit on the populistic side, but he already he he was surprised last night. He was basically saying he did not anticipate such a resentment toward the Monday game and he said that, um yeah, they basically have to think, you know, go back to the roots and uh not be read out a statements and how they are how the club is behind the fans on that matter, uh which I you know to some extent find a little bit hypocritical because um they agreed to that t v deal, but if I have it right, I think uh, you can only renegotiate this till, uh, around what, 2021. And I don't think that in four years or when, whenever, uh, or three, this is still going to be as relevant as it is now, because this was the very first Monday night game. I don't know if, uh, you know, the, the waves have settled a little bit, you know, in a year or two. So I don't know, Matthias. I honestly, have the hunch that it's not going to matter, but, uh, you know, there's a tiny bit in me that actually thinks that it could make a difference. So, there. Anyway, Constantine, um, you now have the honor to talk about the game, unless you wanted to say something about the fan
0: boycott. Um, no, not really. Uh, just that uh, on our next episode of the Fußball Nation podcast, you and me, Stefan and I, we will uh, talk about TV rights, and that has... Uh, so much to do with uh, Monday Night Football because I mean that's essentially <laughs> so essentially what they try to do or what they want to do is that they uh, you know stretch uh, it out split split the matches uh, less simulcast uh, more s- single broadcast matches uh, to get more money out of uh, Didn't you hear they are doing this to protect amateur football? Sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good one um okay so um Borussia Dortmund took the lead after 16 minutes um yet another goal from a counter-attack um Konstantin do you think this right now is more or less the only weapon Dortmund have um because I just don't see them creating too many chances out of play but when they get the chance to turn over boy oh boy it can be dangerous
0: um I don't know what to make of the match, actually. Uh, it's just, um, uh, as a whole. Um, I mean, you got, uh, I, I, f- I, think the, uh, Dortmund score was quite, uh, was played quite well. Um, especially you, you saw what, what happened, uh, when, uh, Oris and Götze and these guys are, uh, moving down faster field. Um, and also you saw that, you know, Bachelor and, and Shirley, they, they split. Um, especially Bachelor moved to the left. Um, to stretch the the uh, Augsburg's backline or what was left of it. Um, so, I mean, that was something, you know, something promising. Um, although we have discussed it already, uh, Stöger's probably not the one who comes up with stuff like that, but, you know, you got these uh, four guys up front and Pulisic on the bench. So you got five um, tremendously talented guys. And um, yeah, that works, of course, in your favor. And um, what, what, became apparent is that Augsburg's um low block um with four, five, six guys um you know defending right in front of uh the two center mid- the two centre midfielders um that really became an issue uh throughout the match and um, I mean there were so so many passes played just laterally um so you you got from, from Schmelzer to uh, to the other side and from Priscilla uh, back to Schmelzer and so on and so on. And I mean uh you know, Schmelzer was caught up in plenty of situations. Um and yeah, that, that didn't really really work out well. So Dortmund's builder was pretty pretty neutralized uh over the course of or during plenty or during a number of phases. Um so yeah, I mean we, we we was I think um after the match it, it there was talk about that uh, Augsburg had six shots on goal or six shots on target um versus Dortmund's two um sure, but when you look at uh, the the chances Augsburg really had, it wasn't like that convincing. But they were still they they were all the time until the until the equalized they were just in it because Dortmund wasn't able to score another goal. Um, they st- you know they stayed alive. Um, Augsburg, Augsburg, uh, pronouns. Um, so you know they stayed alive and uh, then they got one of these corners and all uh, right, there's that's a weakness. Uh, we've seen this throughout the season that Dortmund has problems, issues with, uh, corners with free kicks. Um, against them and how he done so just was free he just was uh, ahead of Socrates was free um, close to Berkey but not close enough that Berkey could have prevented it and yeah and then um, pretty hard header Um, not much to uh, Berkey can do in that situation I mean with a little bit of lucky maybe um, deflects it and uh, the ball goes wide or something but um, yeah didn't happen um, so overall, it was just an underwhelming performance by Dortmund. Uh, Augsburg wasn't like, like, like dominant or anything. They just had, you know, 30 35 percent ball possession and were just waiting for tra- transition attacks, counter attacks, and um, had used their low block to neutralize Dortmund. So it was a dull match. And uh, after all, I mean, if Dortmund isn't isn't able to score the the second goal, or if they are leading, um, then that's th- that becomes a problem because right now they are not stable enough to to just you know keep a clean sheet. You can't you can't uh, assume that they will keep a clean sheet because. Just the defense is not there right now um and and even if it's just a corner kick or a free kick uh conceding one goal or two goals it's just business as usual right now
1: yeah Dortmund haven't really scored all that many goals in the in the recent games um one goal against Gladbach, one goal against Atalanta um yeah two against Hamburg but also a very late one and uh, now just just one goal against augsburg um matthias. If we look at the first half, um, Dortmund go up in the 16th minute and then have a lot of possession without creating any threat. Um, I personally freezing my butt off on the press then thought to myself, oh, well, this is actually going well. We all know Dortmund don't really have, uh, the, the means right now to create a lot of chances from open play, but at least they are, not making it a chaotic game. They are controlling it. And I, I thought I was, I was actually quite pleased with their approach. But, um, Peter Sugar had a different opinion. He basically, uh, accused the team of lacking passion and, uh, being very complacent. And, uh, I think after a game at Eurosport, he said, well, might as well, uh, put the goals down because you don't need them anymore. Uh, the way Dortmund played him was thoroughly disappointed. And could just not comprehend how the team would play and felt left alone on the sideline, uh, you know, according to his press conference quotes. So um <clears throat> while I was uh, while I was happy, I guess uh Peter Schluger was not, and uh do you think and I know we talked about this previously to the podcast, but do you think that um you know Borussia Dortmund has an issue with the players just not listening to what their coaches say because we heard similar things. Coming out of the mouth of Thomas Tuchel and Peter Bosch, that like the message just was not heard.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's now become painfully obvious. You know, the, the one thing in the press conference Peter Stoeger was talking about is it, it seemed like if, if we're let, if, if he's totally honest, which I'm going to assume he is, um, that he wanted them to play differently, that he wanted more attacking. Impetus, uh, higher tempo, more aggression, because he said, you know, in the last 10 minutes, all of a sudden it was back. So that means where was it previously, you know, and, and there was some rotation in the side. So not everybody played against Atalanta. And it leads me to make the logical conclusion that it's a mentality issue with this group of players that goes back to Thomas Torre. Obviously, they stopped playing for Peter Bosch and just didn't listen to him anymore. And we're now hearing the same uh, note being struck by Peter Stöger that they're not doing as he wishes them to do. Whereas if you look at Augsburg with Manuel Baum, they are reacting to what he is saying. And it... It's to me, you look at that and you go, the players bear the brunt of this issue. Um, now is that down to they're not listening at all? They're just too cool for school. You know, they don't need to, they don't need to listen to what the guy on the side says because they're all millionaires and they know everything. Or is there a lack of a tactical input where they feel like they have to take charge and ignore him? I know some managers who lacked tactical instructions players would just ignore them when they're shouting on the on the touchline because they're like well he doesn't really know what he's talking about but you can say that if it was just Peter Stöger or just Peter Bosch or just Thomas Tuchel obviously Thomas Tuchel and Peter Bosch gave tactical instructions especially Thomas Tuchel and they seemingly ignored it all too often especially when it comes to intensity uh which isn't something we were used to from Right in the beginning with Thomas Tuchel, obviously under Jürgen Klopp. And so, is, to me, it comes down to a lot of the wrong players have been purchased who seem to just ignore that.
1: Yeah, this is a, a highly ph- philosophical question, of course, because it's like a chicken and the egg discussion. You know, what came first? And, Constantine, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when I see Dortmund in their builder play and their lack of I don't know you you might want to call it intention or passion or whatever you whatever words you use, but I feel like when the Socrates has the ball and there is an opening for him and he just misses it because it takes too long for him to spot it. Do you really think you know a lot of these uh you know semantic words that's call them to to describe a certain lack of of footballing um do you think that also just comes down to lack of skill in, in the players?
0: I, I mean, in regards to Socrates, yes, uh, it comes down to skill, or that he has not, that he doesn't trust his own skills. Basically, I mean, I, of course he can play a vertical 20 yards ball. Of course he can, but he's not sure if he, if the ball will make it. Or if it gets intercepted then he has plenty of problems on his hand. So um yeah. That that basically when it comes to Socrates, yeah, there there is probably he's a pretty limited uh center back in terms of ball playing.
1: Yeah, that was just just an example. I'm talking a bit more general terms oh, though. Okay. Because um but you know but what's, there, what's, your, what's your point passion? exactly my, my my question is is there really a lack of passion or do you think it's actually just the team lacking a, a clear plan and players just don't know what to do and uh, you know with that the play looks a lot just looks a little flat uh,
0: yeah sure um, I, I i think it's is a is a, a combination of both a bit i, I don't know i don't know if it's passion um Maybe there's, there's a little bit of like a fire sometimes, or like like just uh, playing a bit dirty, or just getting these last five percent, you know, squeezing them out uh, by sheer will. Um, sure, that that might be um, an issue. Also, you have to uh, when you see or when you watch the uh, Augsburg match, okay? Um Yeah, lost two points, but like Dortmund is is, is in this in this kind of hot and cold situation where yeah sure they lost two points but they're still second there's no chance uh, to you know to catch up with Bayern right now um the opposition or the competition uh uh, you know, high up there and the Leverkusen, Schalke, they aren't doing that well either. So you got that, then, um, you, you didn't lose, uh, to Augsburg and, you know, it wasn't like you, 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 you didn't concede uh, four goals or something. Um, it wasn't completely messed up. It was like a little bit unfortunate and a little bit unlucky. But you know, it, it's like and 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 then a match against Augsburg on Monday evening is not not that special anymore. Maybe maybe it was a, a special at at one point when Dortmund fought for the championship, but right now they don't and they're so used to being up there second third um you know you're you just you expect that they are at least one or up or at least third on uh, table so yeah, there might be something to that. You know that um, it doesn't feel that special anymore. And I mean, there were times when Dortmund, when when almost every Dortmund match was like this this highlight event. So, but right now it is. Uh, and and uh, in terms of skills, yeah, I mean, some players are might be a bit overrated by the wider public. Um, and and you know sure there there is plenty of talent in the team but there's also there are limitations um there are limitations to socrates ball ball playing skills there are limitations to shines athletic skills there are limitations to uh, castros decision making there is limitations to piss checks um, attacking skills. There are limitations to Schmelzer's, uh, attacking instinct. There, you know, it's just, there, there, there might be some, uh, limitations to Berkey's killer instinct, um, sometimes. Um, so, yeah. Um, there are limitations here and there. And uh, if you don't play in a pretty sophisticated tactical system, you're, it comes a little bit down to individual quality. And you see and these uh, limitations become far more obvious. While uh, Augsburg, for instance, played as, as a team, you know, in, in a system Baum set up prior to the match or, you know, months ago. Um, and they knew what to do. And then it isn't that important that maybe someone like Moravec, who was injured, um, for, for pretty much years, um, isn't maybe that athletic anymore. It, or that someone like Ronnie Kadira, um, you know, isn't the best passing player or is. Quite, sometimes a quite horrible passing player but it's not that important you know you, you have you have the system you have an idea you stick to it sure you're the passive team so you can react so it's e- far easier to hide uh flaws but at the end um you are also you're acting as a team and flaws beca- become not as apparent i think uh while Dortmund every player is pretty much exposed um, and that's uh, that becomes a problem when there are these limitations.
1: So you think Dortmund lack cohesion on the field? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And, um, I don't know. I they, of course, Stöger, because of Europa League and, you know, uh, pretty tight schedule and, and national team, uh, commitments and so on and so on. He has to do, uh, he has to do some rotation. Uh, he has to switch up, change the midfield. For instance, you know, one day he plays Dahoud and Shine, The next day he plays Weigel and Castro. Um, then Schmelzel's back, Toljans on the bench, stuff like that. I understand it. I understand the reasoning. Um, but that might also be an issue because when you, if you remember, um, Dortmund's best days were always when they have like a, a, a starting 11 or let's say a starting 13, 14, you know, right now it, m- it might be better to have, uh, like this, this tight 12 or 13. Uh, man group and a uh, couple of, uh, substitution players who come in occasionally. And, uh, you know, right now you, you could say, okay, we have, uh, Pudisic and Götze and Shurle, so we, we switch it up a little bit. You know, one, one has to sit on the bench, uh, because of numbers. Uh, but, uh, overall, you know, you have this group of, of, of a starting 11 and they, um, yeah, there's then maybe more cohesion over time, but um, right now that isn't the case. Um, you have pretty pretty uh, much rotation all the time, and I don't know if that helps. Um, but that's only one thing on top of uh, uh, our issues, which are more severe.
1: Yeah, the thing is, you also never really know how much the uh, terror attack had to, has to do still, like, what what of a factor that has on individual players, because you're always going to be traumatized from that in one way or another, and, uh, you know, what sort of effect it has, and, uh, yeah, there are just a lot of odd dynamics, I feel like, going on in the team, and, um, Sugar also pointed to the fact, and I think it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not completely unimportant that Marco Royce Eight months out, M- Mario Götze uh, hardly, you know, consistent with his health. Andre Schöle also out for a half a season or so almost. So, you know, and then Bachuay, he just came from loan, uh, uh, from Chelsea on loan. So you have a lot of players that, that just can't have any team chemistry. And, uh, I think that's a big disadvantage right now for Dortmund because it's match day 24. You know, we're in a very advanced stage of the league. Most teams have more or less found like they're starting elevens, you know, something has crystallized. And for Dortmund, it more or less feels like they're on match day three or four, you know, of of an entire new season. And there are no automatism, you know, <laughs> to really build. How could there be? And uh, Myra Goods I think yesterday, said automatism like eight times in like a three-minute interview. Um, which, uh, was a nice homage to the yellow warpot, of course, but, uh, also goes to show that there are just problems that are, can only be solved with time. But, uh, you know, it's a catch 22. That's exactly what Dortmund do not have right now. And Matthias, if we look ahead to the coming games, it's, it's Leipzig, then, you know, Hanover, Frankfurt, and, and so on and so forth. There's still the Revier Re- Derby away, Bayern away. So, you know, the top six Dortmund are yet to play against and, uh, you know they haven't already done too well against like bottom teams so um do you really fear that we more or less can see a repeat now after uh you know match day seven in the in the Hinrunde? you know there was this big collapse do you think something similar can
2: happen now I don't. Uh, personally, I don't. I don't foresee that happening. Uh, just also because Dortmund seemed to be a little bit more stable. Like you had mentioned pre-recording, you know, the long ball over the top issue, for the most part, seems to have been alleviated. Um, it's, you know, they're still trying to find their rhythm. You also can't forget, you know, Royce is just recently back. Götze is just recently back. Uh, Schürrle is just recently back in the sense of he's actually playing decent football um so it's I don't foresee another collapse coming to that degree at all I think Dortmund will end the season in a Champions League spot which one it is I don't know uh to be perfectly honest I don't think anybody can predict that at this point just because you can't predict anybody's form outside of Bayonne right now so Because I certainly didn't see Leipzig losing to Köln as a possibility. So that being said, I don't see a collapse happening. I think the other teams are inconsistent enough as well to keep Dortmund in the hunt for the Champions League and then you reassess and reevaluate as you roll into the summer.
1: All right, then uh, let's talk about Leipzig, I guess. Uh, Konstantin, you are... uh very close to this weird club and uh, know them pretty well. And Leipzig uh, now lost two games in a row against Frankfurt, which was a very impressive game. I thought, you know, <laughs> good advertisement for the Monday night game because that I thought was quite entertaining. And then, um, yeah, they did lo- lose to Cologne and uh, beforehand, uh, yeah, they had this 1-1 draw against Hamburg, a 1-0 win against Leipzig and a 2-0 win against Augsburg. Uh, so they're inconsistent as well. And right now they're in sixth place. And if Dortmund beat them, I think they move about seven or six points clear. So, um, it's, it's a massive game for Leipzig, even more so than for Dortmund, maybe. Um, so how do you see this game, uh, you know, a- approaching for, for Leipzig?
0: actually lost um three matches in a row because also they i like, got beaten by napoli and uh, the europa league in the second leg still got through but um yeah uh, lost that match as well and i was uh in the stadium watching that one um freezing in the press box um as always in like i don't know why but it's always cold there. um it's probably not much warmer in Dortmund. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, but it's also win windy in the stadium. Uh, they have like this elevated r- r- roof, and um, yeah. All right. Um, point being is that uh, Le- Leipzig, yeah, they, they aren't doing that well right now, although they won a couple of matches prior to the uh, f- free um, defeat spell. Um, but Leipzig, uh, in the first Bundesliga season, um, they were convincing just based on their intensity and, um, the system they used, uh, in the, in the second Bundesliga and, uh, you know, has the idea of pressing football, uh, quick turnovers, quick transitions, uh, quick, um, goal-scoring attempts, um, and that worked out quite well, but, of course, now they have to play Europa League, or in the first half of the season, they play Champions League. So, uh, tighter schedule, less intensity. Um, they can't keep up the intensity over time during a match. Uh, they have to take breaks here and there. Um, also, the pressing doesn't look as... as um, maybe sophisticated as the wrong word, but it doesn't look as uh, elaborated as it looked last season you know much more man oriented um less um tricky less uh, you know less pressing traps um so i mean that's yeah it, it makes them more average or more normal um in some regards at least um so i think that that doesn't help them because uh, the biggest weakness leipzig has right now is that um it the back line is just not Individual quality in in defense not there. Um, yeah, they have a pretty average backline. Sure, dio Upamecano is one uh, player who will become a, a one of the more um n- notable uh, center backs in Europe. I think um over time, I give, give him two or three years, and he will be a big star, um a big def- defender and a big star, um. What's what's wrong with me today? I don't know. Um, just having having uh, struggling with words. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Obamecano, of, of course, right? Uh, Oban is the captain and leader, but um, let's say above average centre back. Um, then Halstenberg is injured, so you have to sometimes have to play Konrad Leimer, who's actually a centre midfielder now as a right back, and at right back against Napoli, where he just he was horrible. Uh, and they used it. You know, uh,
1: yeah, not only against Napoli. I always feel like every, every time I watch Leipzig and they concede, Lima isn't very far
0: away. Yeah, he's 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 right there. He's he's always right there uh, when he plays at right back, not not at, in, in center midfield. That's that's a different story because that's actually the, his position and yeah, number six, number eight. Um, yeah, but at right back, yeah, that that's not what what he should do actually. Uh, but you know. Because of rotation and because of Halstenberg's injury and because Bernardo or Klosterman, one of the uh, one of them has to play as a left back. So you know Hassenhütter needs another right back, and uh, Ilisanker is is too important, so he has to play in the middle. Um, so he and he's not like a suitable right back uh, either. So he uh, Hassenhütter pronouns um uses uh. Uh, Limer at uh, right, right back sometimes, and uh, I mean against Lorenzo Insigne uh, in the Napoli match, it was just it was not comfortable to watch sometimes. Um, and they used to, you know Hamschick and and Insigne they just played ping pong with him. Um, so yeah, there there, there could there, there are there there should be openings for Dortmund, yeah. You know? Um, especially against Limer, and even if he doesn't play against Bernardo as well. Uh, If Bernardo plays on the left side, he's also a right-footed fullback, so um, there there should be openings uh, for Dortmund, Um, and also uh, just in one-on-one situations, uh, in the final third defending inside the penalty area, um, just uh, Leipzig's backline isn't as good as a backline for a a Champions League uh, qualifying contender should be, but... It is what it is. Um, so they, they, uh, Dortmund should get uh, chances to at least score. But Werner, um, Sabitzer, P- Paulsen, uh, these kind of uh, attacking players are also made to hurt Dortmund. Um, actually, I think it could end up being a free free or something because uh, Leipzig, just like Dortmund, uh, they have uh, issues defending corner kicks. <laughs> they have just... They, yeah, they, I they, 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 actually... I think there, there, have, there have been matches this season where uh, Leipzig conceded maybe four or five corner kicks, and every corner kick led to a goal or almost led to one. You know, it was a close one. Uh, Peter Gulacci, their goalkeeper, is one of the uh, of the more underrated and one of the better goalkeepers in the in the league. Um, so he saved pr- pr- probably a few. Um, Oral like corner kicks. It's just what you need against Leipzig, and then uh, you 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 should try something. Uh, one last point before you, c- you can g- can go on um, is that I know in the wake of the Augsburg match, Augsburg match. It sounds a bit weird, but actually, um, in recent months, Dortmund has been quite um, energetic. Actually, in the past, in the last twenty twenty five minutes of a match, they were um, often had more energy, more. More left in the tank uh, compared to the opponent, and I think Leipzig's quite the opposite. Um, they struggle in the last thirty minutes or so of a match. So I know Dortmund conceded a goal against Augsburg in uh, what, what is it, seventeenth uh, minute? Seventy seconds. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, sure. I know, I know, but it was a corner kick. Um, and I guess Dortmund, maybe if they can get it to a, uh, you know, 1-1 or something, and then enter the final 20 minutes of the match, uh, they can win it. Um, sure, that's not something you can trust on, you can bet on, but, um, at least there might be a chance for Dortmund to uh, seal the deal in the, in the, you know, final phase of the, um, because, uh, I think conditioning wise, uh, Dortmund is one of the better teams. In-
1: yeah, that is uh, an interesting point. And, uh, I- actually, I wanted to go elsewhere, but uh, maybe I should pick you up on that. Maybe, uh, you know, the periodization of Peter Bosch, you know, trying to build the stanema of the team uh, very carefully throughout the season is now helping the team. Plus, um, you know, Constantine, you were always, uh, you know, Hitting the cowbell, <laughs> the proverbial one in, in this podcast, talking about uh, Borussia Dortmund's lack of fitness, and I think you had a point um, over the last several seasons that there were always phases where Dortmund just, you know, they're just snoozed off. And I think to some extent it is still true, but um, it is also true, as you just said, that Dortmund can add something in the last twenty minutes or so of the game. I mean, the last. Onslaught against Augsburg, where they actually created a couple of goal-scoring chances, was also there. So even if they conceded, they they could flick the switch. So um, this is certainly an advantage. I hope, even though there are a couple more days to recuperate now, because there's no midway midweek game for either Leipzig or Dortmund. Um, but Matthias, if I also look at this game, and Matthias Constantine uh, already talked about the three-three scoreline, um. Do you think this will be uh, basically called turnover ball because Dortmund recently created most of their promising plays from turnovers and I think Leipzig are also pretty good at counterattacking so do you think it's it's just going to be about who's better at picking up those second balls and then uh, stringing together a couple of quick attacks?
2: I believe so and I think it's also about retaining the ball because um, you know I watched a few matches of Leipzig, and I've obviously watched the Dortmund matches. And there seem to be a few uncharacteristically sloppy touches in, in both sides in the last few matches. And given, you know, Leipzig likes to be aggressive, hopefully Dortmund can stay aggressive throughout the match. Uh, I think that'll be a key one, not just the winning of the ball, but then not losing it right away again because you're making a bad decision with it, um, which which is why I'd very much like Mahmoud Dahoud to not play in this match. Um, but uh, to me, yeah, it, it's going to be about the fast transitions and it's almost like who who gets left standing last uh, could be the winner.
1: Yeah, this is why I actually do favor Dortmund just a little bit because I think their attacking line... Uh, with Royce and, and Schölle and, and Götze and maybe Pulisic, I don't know who, who will start and, and is actually a little bit superior to, uh, Augustin, Bruma, Timo Werner, Lookman, Forceback or whoever will, will play. I think Leipzig have a really great attacking line, but I think Dortmund's just a little bit better. And, um, I don't know. Do you think, Konstantin, that, um, Leipzig will use Paulsen to have like a, Back to gold striker this time, or or how do you think they will approach this one? Because uh, with Buttry, Dortmund certainly have one that can facilitate transition attacks if he doesn't finish them.
0: Yeah, sure. Or what's the what what, what what's the point? Sir?
1: Whether they will whether they will prefer to play Paulsen up front with someone else, maybe.
0: It's all right I got you. Um, the the problem. It's it's pretty, it's pretty tough to predict um, Leipzig's starting lineups right now. Um, S- uh, Hausnüttel does a lot of rotation just like Stöger. Uh, even more so, I think. Uh, um Sometimes you expect him to play uh, Paulus and Werner, which is Still, I think first choice lineup. Then he plays August Tong and Sabitz or something, of, you know. And it even not not really. It, it, it doesn't even depend uh, whether it's a it's a Europa League match or Bundesliga match or something. You know, it, it doesn't really matter uh, right now. So, uh, I mean, of course, first choice lineup is Paulsen and Werner. Paulsen is the um, physical center forward who can just receive these uh, longer balls, these um, vertical. Uh, grounded passes and um, you know, just just keep them for a few seconds. Vanner's uh, the one who makes the the runs um, behind the line. Mm. Also, you can do uh, our stuff, but uh, Werner you know the one with the speed and uh, the one who outspeeds outpaces um, centre backs for a living. Um, so yeah, that combination of, of the two is what you normally would would uh, consider the first choice, but. I mean, if you play small ball, then you uh, let uh, Paulsen out and uh, mm-hmm. leave Paulsen out and uh, you play Sabitzer and Werner, for instance, or August Tong and Werner. Um, but I think if Hasniedl, um chooses to just have his best lineup on the pitch for a pretty crucial uh, match, then I think Paulsen and Werner are up front, Sabitzer are on the right and depending on who's, uh, if if Forsberg is uh, fit and ready to go, then maybe Forsberg on the left or Puma on the left. I could actually see Puma playing on the left um, with and couple, you know, and couple Kata or maybe Campbell Demer, depending on whether uh, Keta is fit. So, um, but he also could you know, just decide that that's you know right now. I don't I don't really see the pattern. Uh, maybe your husband decides to go back to the 4-3-3, which he used against Cologne. And he used it a few weeks prior to that, but then he used the four-two-two-two again. So, and there's not really a pattern, and sometimes it's really hard to see why he chooses one formation over the other, and why he chooses Auguston, for instance, upfront and not Werner or something. That's it's. I guess it, it it comes more down to rotation and managing. Um, fatigue and stuff, you know. I d- we don't have the data, and you know, we we don't have the, the material uh, when they test their players and, and see who's fatigued and who's not. So, um, yeah. But I guess I just mentioned the first choice starting eleven, which uh, I guess because it's a match against uh, competition for Champions League qualifying spots. I guess that that is some is at least what Dortmund should expect. If it comes uh, different than whatever, you have to deal with it.
1: Alright, one, one little note about Dortmund starting 11 is that I want to see Manuel Akanji in this game because he is very fast and uh, Dortmund will need to have pace in their backline because uh, the good old Restverteidigung will probably be in much of use in there and, um, that's uh, one thing. Um, I also think Akanji should have already played against Augsburg because, um, as previously mentioned Socrates really struggled in the build up play and I think with a bit you know a player that has a little bit more courage to play vertical balls and maybe uh, you know is not as hesitant as Socrates Dortmund could have uh, created so many more chances than they did so um that's my opinion um Matthias, last question before we go over to predictions. Um I feel like we're a little bit at a tipping point now in the in the season. Um there are already talks about um, you know Peter Sugar maybe getting a new contract and uh, that the, the trust between him and Sorg, you know, and Vatzka the trifecta basically is, is quite okay. And uh Watzke, I think said that they will make a decision probably before the thirty fourth match day. So do you think if Dortmund win this game against Leipzig, that uh, this will increase chances way, way more than, let's say, a win over Augsburg. Or, you know, vice versa, a loss will have bigger ramifications. What's your take on that?
2: Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, the more positive results, the more points they could gain, the more likely it is that Peter Stöger gets a contract extension. I think Vatska will keep an eye on how the club, the team is performing. And of course, Vatska, Zawak, and Stöger are probably talking about, well, what if you would stick around? What are the areas we need to improve to play the type of football we want to play? And that also will go into that. And that's obviously something none of us are privy to. And, but beating Leipzig will mean more than beating Augsburg-ish. But Augsburg's really a match you have to win, you know, by, by not winning it, even though Augsburg are playing actually pretty good this season. Uh, you know, they're mid-table. They're decent. Uh, they're not horrendous. Yeah. I mean, this, these are the matches against Leipzig, Schalke and so on. You win those. Your odds increase dramatically of, going into the Champions League le- next season, which is the ultimate goal. And then, of course, it becomes hard to not give Peter stöger a new contract. Um, but I'm pretty sure, given some of the stuff that happened with Obama Young, uh some of the stuff that happened with Toche, some of the stuff that happened with Bosch, that Watzke and Sok are probably keeping a very, very close eye on harmony within the squad, harmony within the dressing room. And, and how Peter Stöger and his team kind of fit into that. If that all works and the results, not necessarily the performances, but the results are there, um, it's, it'll be hard to not give Peter Stöger a contract extension.
1: All right. And I guess next week, little cliffhanger here, we can talk about how much sense that would make to give him a contract extension. In the meanwhile, Matthias, uh, you can go first and predict Borussia Dortmund against Leipzig.
2: Well, I I am cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, big matches sometimes produce big results. This is a bigger match. Um, so I'm expecting the team to play better. Obviously, Leipzig having lost, as Konstantin said, three matches, uh, that can play into their psyche as well, especially given that they are, on average, a pretty young side. So I'm going to give Dortmund a 2-1 victory.
1: All right, I'm going to go on next, and I will predict the same scoreline as in the reverse fixture, but this time Dortmund winning 3-2. Konstantin? Uh, 2-2. All right, Um We'll see if I can get three results on the bounce correctly. Uh, that's uh, highly unlikely. Um, but, uh, you never know. <laughs> so, Constantine, where can people find you on the internet and your
0: work and uh, all your great podcasts that you do? They can find me on the internet, uh, on Twitter, um, at CC underscore eckner, Um, and yeah, they can find, uh, you and me our podcast, foosballnation.com. I think, and also, of course, they can check out uh, the Spielverlagerung podcast, the SV podcast. uh, uh, (laughs) Best
1: abbreviation ever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, slash forward slash podcast.
1: All right. Thank you for coming on as always. Matthias, how can people reach out to you and uh, agree with you privately in direct messages? (laughs)
2: uh yeah you don't want to do that publicly um no you can find me on twitter at matthias
1: thank you and you can find me at stefan Butzko on twitter you can find all of us on yellow worldpod.com is also our twitter handle and facebook handle so um yeah there's that one more reminder that you can get your hands on the marco stadium cup on our patreon page which you can find on patreon.com slash the yellow wall and please subscribe and leave a rating on itunes soundcloud and stitcher and i think that's pretty much it for this week until next week goodbye